Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another sunny yet empty day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Paul Rhodes, founder of The Seven Institute, an organically grown UK-based training provider. Paul, hello. Morning, Matthew. Thank you for coming on the program today. Um, we might as well uh, address the ongoing COVID-19 situation before we start our conversation on leadership. How has the restrictions uh, surrounding COVID-19 affected your business? I think the industry uh, that we're in with this training development has, has certainly come to a, a standstill. Um, I'm, I'm connected to a number of groups of trainers and training organizations. And obviously, that is something that, given the current situation, certainly face-to-face training um, has been impacted in a, in a really large way. So probably I would, I would say people have quite a a large amount of work cancelled um, or at least postponed going forward. And certainly our face-to-face training has just gone from a lot of bookings to um, zero, obviously because that's something you can't do. Luckily, from our perspective, we've, we've got an online side of the business, uh, which has been useful. Are you making any alternate arrangements to try and bring things back onto line? I think from the face-to-face perspective, there's not much you can do. Um, We've been working on our learning management system for the last couple of years because we, we saw the industries going that way. Uh, but I'd say we're quite innovative in our thinking as a training organization. So a lot of uh, training organizations or, or freelance associate trainers uh, are, I think, from what I've uh, gathered, trying to do more online. But it's, it's quite a transition, so it's very difficult for them to make that shift in a short period of time. Luckily for us, we started that journey a couple of years ago. Um, and, and actually our product has only really been on the market since November. So the timing for us is, is quite good in that way, but I know for a lot of people in the organization, in the industry, it's, it's been a real challenge to shift from being that face-to-face to an online Do you uh, feel that this is going to have a lasting impact on your business? Um, not sure it's going to have a lasting impact. I've got a feeling, uh, you know, once once we've got a couple of Premier League football games out of the way, <laughs> people will just get back to normal once, once this thing's hopefully blown over. Mm. I think bookings will come in and then uh, business will just return to what it was probably pre-COVID-19. Well, why don't we move on to the subject of leadership? I always like to start this part of the conversation off by asking a very simple question. What does the word leader mean to you? I think leader, from, from a perspective, it can mean lots of different things depending on the level of uh, the organization or the position you take on board. A lot of the people that I work with and leadership roles often the running teams, so they're you know, probably the majority. I would say a leader uh, is someone who generally influences the behavior of other people. Uh, so if you compare that to, say, a manager who might you know, look at processes and systems and make sure the nuts and bolts are in place, leaders really um, tap into the, into the heart more than the head, um, primarily. That, that would be my interpretation of a leader. How do you keep your staff motivated? I think it's situational. Um, everyone's different. There's there's different uh, things that motivate different people. So you've got to take it on a very individual basis. For one person, it, it might be the kind of work they're doing. For other for other people, it's security and it's um, maybe maybe variation of role. Um, so I think it's it's looking at individuals and looking at uh, who they are and the situation itself and, and managing it from that perspective. I don't think there's a one one size fits all approach to keeping people engaged. 
Now, uh, keeping people engaged, of course, at this moment in time is, uh, I, I would imagine, a bit of a challenge. Um, sure. With, with all the remote working, how are you keeping your staff engaged? I think communications are critical. Obviously, people who haven't worked in an environment uh, like homeworking before can, can find that transition quite challenging. Um, and I think it, it's the ability to, for, for leaders in particular to pick up the phone to ensure they're, they're booking an extra time in their diaries to, to have those conversations just just to see how it's going. You know, not always a work-related conversation, just just, uh, just to bring up. And, and I don't think it's any different from what agile working practices have been over the last few years. So organizations have been doing this kind of thing. I think we know from, from that that a lot of the communication, sometimes when you don't see people a lot of just how are you going, opposed to getting straight into business. So I think it is important we, we touch base. I would see that as a critical element of communicating with people, not being scared to, you know, jump on Skype, jump on Zoom, jump on the phone and just, just keep those connections. You, you can't overdo that. Um, that. That would be my number one tip. We, we have seen a bit more of that, haven't we, uh, of uh, people uh, speaking to their colleagues outside of work hours far more than they normally would. And I think it's this this human need for contact. Um, and, of course, that comes to how you uh, operate your business normally, which is a lot of face-to-face interaction. Do you find that you have greater success in face-to-face training than you would uh, in some sort of remote situation? I think it depends on the subject. Uh, you know, traditionally, definitely, we would say that, you know, if, if you can afford, uh, logistically, it's not always the most affordable option, but if you can afford to, uh, you know, get people in a training room, obviously, you get the element where, where everyone's there. And I think, it's not so much what I can bring to the table or what the learning is. I think that the benefit most of the learners get out of that situation is probably networking, collaborating, and sharing each other's ideas. So, you know, I'd say eighty percent of the, the learning I've done is generally um, with with peer support and peer learning. So you lose that element, and I think while that can be replaced uh, with obviously group sessions, it's a lot more difficult logistically. So yeah, you definitely lose something. I'm um, saying that you know, uh, I, I think there's. There's a lot of teaching and training you can do in an online format, but it's that collaboration that you lose and that peer contact that uh, it's hard to replace unless you're face-to-face. Let's, uh, let's uh, take a journey back in time for a moment to when you first entered the workforce. Uh, were there any particular influences on you, whether they be uh, someone you worked with or for or a set of circumstances that formed the way that you look at leadership? Yeah, I think... Um, Looking at my my history, I think of like everybody, you've had some good leaders and you've had some not so good leaders. Um, and definitely, there's people that I can identify in my past that would fall into both categories. I think you, you sometimes learn as much from your, the bad leaders, don't you? The ones that didn't give you a good Absolutely. experience, didn't make you feel great. <laughs> uh, so I, I think those are there's there's some there's some learning there because you can look at that and and I can vividly remember a couple of scenarios where I thought well if I'm ever in a leadership position that's something I I don't want to do, um, and obviously you can learn from the from the good as as well. So yeah, there's definitely people in the past, good and bad, that I I think I've learned from. What do you think is the difference between a good leader and a bad leader? I think it's the ability to focus um, on on that individual. Element. So if you think about the pressures that people are under in a work environment, it's very easy to um, focus on the task itself and just focus on the task. And I, and I think that's important, 
absolutely, you know, if we're not focusing on getting the job done, then nothing gets done. But I think great leaders uh, are those who have the ability to be personable uh, and, and to give people their time to be supportive, to, um, you know, I, I think you don't have to be somebody's best friend. Uh, you just have to have those elements where you're prepared to support people, to engage people, to encourage people. Um, it's amazing uh, things like, you know, well done, a little bit of praise, a little bit of recognition. Uh, you know you're not doing well when the only time you ever hear from your boss is when things go wrong. <laughs> I think if, it, it's an attitude thing. I think if, if managers and leaders are prepared to tap into that people element, you know, I always say that leaders are school teachers, sometimes psychologists, sometimes counselors, sometimes encouragers. You've got to be all of these things. and there, There's a place to make sure we're following the right processes and the right systems, but I think leaders have to tap into the heart. Uh, and it's, it's tricky sometimes, especially uh, when there's, you know, there's deadlines and pressures and it can be, can be confusing. But, yeah, we've got to tap into the heart of people. When people are you win the heart, you win the mind. Now, unfortunately, our time together is drawing to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for Seven Institute? I think it's, uh, for us personally, it's been a real catalyst. It's, uh, we've been wanting to get more into the online space for a long time. And, you know, you, you can put that off and put that off. And what's COVID-19 in the current situation is forcing us to do is, is uh, spend time developing and continuing to grow the business. So I would see going forward maybe less time doing face-to-face training and, and more time developing our online solution, which obviously re- reaches a much wider audience. So uh, for us personally, that, that's probably that, that's the way... Uh, the world's going, and I think we've got to adapt and in it's in changing and go in that direction too. Well, Paul, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today, and I very much hope that you can come back on the program when things have uh, got back to normal out there and we can have a, a more in-depth conversation. Paul, thank you. Hey, thanks, Matthew. Great talking to you. That was Paul Rhodes, founder of The Seven Institute. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, um, just... yes, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, one or two injuries. Um but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that 
genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you just think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there... It's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And, of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, mm-hmm. again, extremely fortunate to play with the, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, w- would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he, uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top. He's absolutely vital. For a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure... When you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. 
But yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years, he it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time at maybe overly strict but at the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn song and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing. In, in the team, but uh, in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. so mm. I, I had the, the impact of. Thinking I at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position, and somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be I'd be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back out, mm. so I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, 
people he, he left behind that, that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. There's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now, but it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did. Uh, um, it did but make then again, if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that 
occur to you or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of the fans of, of West Ham and uh, Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I think probably it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And, and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader, um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to. Uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team, if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the, 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they they are not doing so well he's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's ast- absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Green was, yeah, well, the, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know, uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the, 
um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and I've going back from an earlier, earlier question for me, the, um, all hard-nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially. And that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers. We, we still got on, our wives got on with, all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after 66. They, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the... Um, uh, Getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time, and I wouldn't. And when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. And there was nobody else; they were all outstanding, and I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was, and I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. You- we had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is showed, team, the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly. Uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership, all the time it's a huge part of your life I don't think you can switch off when you're in in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if if these top managers and leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation, and I think that's you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, Another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. 
Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.